0: Welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in negotiation to sell your company. My name is John and I'll be your host for today's activities. The... uh the interview you're about to hear is actually part two of a two part interview with James Ashford. If you haven't had a chance to go back to listen to part one, I'd encourage you to start there because he talks about how he built Go Proposal based on an initial £4,000 investment up to an eight-figure exit. In particular, he talks about the value-building process of building a company. So what he did to build his company without ruining his marriage, how he shortened sales cycles, how he actually stimulated the creativity of his employees by using systems, which maybe sounds counterintuitive, but he'll explain it to you. How to leverage social media without making your company dependent on you. So lots of great stuff in part one of this interview. Today, we're going to turn the page and talk about how James went and sold his company in a spectacular eight-figure exit. Before we get there, though, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, go to -to builttosell.com, and you'll find the show notes for today's episode. So all of the links to the things James references in the show, the definitions, the M&A lingo that we use is all housed on James Ashford's show notes page, which you'll find at builttosell.com. Number two, you may want to subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a video lover, we're making some significant inf- inv- investments in the improvements of our video. So without giving away too much of the detail, head over to YouTube, type in a search box built to sell radio, and I think you'll start to enjoy what we produce there on YouTube. All right, let's get into part two of this interview with James Ashford. Again, the focus in this second part of the interview is how James went and sold Go Proposal. So we'll talk about how to impress the prospective acquirer in a management presentation, one of the key steps in the process of selling your company. He'll talk about how to create excitement about your deal, both among acquirers, but also among your team which can often get a little bit nervous around the prospect of selling your company. So your team members need to be um, engaged at the right time. So we'll talk about how to do that. How to grow your company despite all of the energy you're putting into selling your business, how to maximize your uh, negotiation leverage, and ultimately punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. Here to tell you how we did it is James Ashford. Got it. That's super helpful. What was your reaction? I know you didn't actually say anything, but I'd be curious to know what thoughts went through your mind when the acquirer said, we all know how this works. What will your wife accept? Just take me through the stream of consciousness inside James's mind when he uttered those words to you.
1: These are good questions, John, really good questions. I've not actually thought about before. I think I knew the amount. So I knew the answer to the question, but then my ego came in as well and thought, but what could we get? And although that was the number that we agreed, how big could the number become? Like, so all of a sudden now, did it matter what my wife would accept? Did it matter what I'd agreed with her, you know, all those years ago or, is there something else at play now so your ego starts to fire up and to start to think well is now the right time should we should we scale it even more should we not have this conversation you know and so I, I think perhaps firing on lots of different things i've learned since that people have said he shouldn't never have asked that question that was a naughty question for him to have asked in the first place but i i, I didn't take it as a as that
0: Was there any part of you that said, well, hang on a second, like I'm my own person.
1: (laughs) I started this company. Like
0: I'll decide what I want for it in concert with my spouse, but it's not her decision. It's our decision collectively. Like it sounded, you could have taken it, and I think I would personally have taken it like a I would have been offended by that question because I would—it it suggests that I don't have my own opinion. <laughs> my wife is actually just running my company for me, and I'm just a yeah, shadow yeah, yeah.
1: employee. Like, was that? Did that go through your mind at all? No, I, I tend not to take offense at many things. Uh, to be <laughs> you're honest, you're
0: a better man than I.
1: I just—I <laughs> probably not. Probably a naïve uh, job. I just kind of laughed it off. I think and and you know I'm on a, it was on a webinar and I've got three people staring at me and I've never been, I've I've gone on to give them. What for? Because they're trying to kind of do a deal that I wasn't in agreement with. So I've gone on kind of with one thing. They flipped the whole conversation to me and now I'm caught on the back foot. So I just, my only thought was get off this call as fast as you can and don't give anything away because I'm now in territory that I have no idea. Like I thought I was winging it to that point. I was certainly going to be winging it if I'd said anything to them.
0: Got it. So you get three inbound inquiries, one of which got pretty serious pretty quickly, it sounds like. Where does it go from there?
1: So this was coming up to the end of the year, December time, a lot of excitement, like, you know, three companies interested in us. Where could this go? Is now the right time? Or this dream that I'd had since I was young, could this be realized, et cetera? Can I finally prove to myself I know how to build and sell a business? All these questions, right? And then another part of you thinking, should we do it? Should we keep going? And then they all just fizzled out. They all just kind of went, like one of them wasn't the right time. One of them, they had another business they were interested in and they weren't biting with conversations. And the other one, they were doing another, they were they were going through a round of funding themselves. And so it wasn't, so it, it just all petered out. And so I went, I think I've kind of found out in early January. So I was kind of licking my wounds in, in January.
0: And what did that do to your motivation and your confidence? I
1: I think it boosted it. I think it was very flattering to think that, that maybe, maybe we're here in the, in the right ballpark. So lots of thoughts going on in my head. And then I saw another company in the space that were a similar-ish size to us, similar, they'd been going a little bit longer than us, sell. And I thought, wow, they've just sold. And then it made me think maybe. We could sell. Maybe now what is they the sell right for? time.
0: Did you did you get a didn't sense know. of multiple never got, revenue?
1: Nothing. I never got to know. No, but I knew it was it was good, and I, I felt it was a healthy amount. I didn't know what though, um. And so I, uh, I, I just had a word myself, and I I don't know where this analogy came from, John, but I thought it was like, like we we never had a we don't have proms here, but it's like. A girl has looked at you and and maybe given you a suggestion that she would go to the prom with you, but it's not coming to anything. I thought, you know what? Let's just get our best suit on. Let's do our hair. Let's get dressed up and let's go and ask the girl to the prom like we're here. Let's let's just go and do it. And you know what? If now is not the right time, we'll learn a hell of a lot through the process and we'll just. Crack on again in a couple of years time and try again, but let's go for it. So I found the M&A company that had done the deal on the other business. And I said, do you think you could do something with us? And they immediately said, send me over like three years of monthly management accounts. Let's see what's going on. Had a look. And they were like, yeah, we think, so, you know, can you get me over the 5 million goal that we're going for? Yeah, we can get you over that. So I'm like, let's go for it.
0: What did the M and A company ask for? You mentioned they wanted to see revenue. What else? Yes. What other numbers were important to them?
1: So they wanted to know what our and we have been thankfully tracking all of the, the, the numbers. They wanted to know what our churn was. What was your know... churn at the time? Hmm, it's a good one. I think it was around bobbling around one and a half two percent a month, which for we thought month. was good. We learned it could be better, but. One and a half, two percent a month. Yeah, okay. we had a really high conversion. You know, we were our marketing. We had such an automated marketing system with like two years worth of nurturing emails. Like it was just a machine. So it would just bring people in. It was a fully digitized journey. We had no salespeople, John. We never had not didn't have one salesperson in the company. How when much
0: we, did you charge for the product?
1: Um, like a hundred and twenty quid a month, hundred and twenty pounds a month.
0: Got it. SaaS model.
1: Yeah. Uh, tw- when we you know, we got to 1 million, million pound revenue, we had 12 members of staff. Like they were a very efficient team. We were profitable. We had money in the bank, good churn. Our conversion rate from someone signing up, I'm forgetting these numbers now, but it was like 30 to 40% conversion rate. And that was, they, they didn't have to put the card details in, you know, and we would convert them. And I think like the industry sounds like, or something. So so let
0: me be clear. So 30% of people who take a free trial
1: Mm -hmm.
0: ended up converting into a paid customer.
1: Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, So that enabled
0: your M&A guy at your company to basically run some spreadsheets and say, well, if we stick this number of people in the top of the funnel, it's going to generate
1: a big. There you go. There you go. And like our net promoter score was um, like 81 I think like world-class like just creating incredible experiences was the whole thing um so all of the numbers look good and healthy and we had all of the data immediately I think you know one thing that I think helped with that when I look back on it was you know when someone requests the information how fast you can give it to them so can you you know can we have access to the M&A reports for the last three years yep within five minutes there's the link what else do you want like just be- because we were connected to the accounting firm, because we was in the accounting industry, like, and because of my pain that I'd experienced before, we invested so heavily into the finance function of Go Proposal, like. 3 3%, 3% of our revenue was invested back into the finance function of that company. I had my hands this on This is such
0: an important point for for our listeners to hear because in particular the speed with which you get back to potential acquirers just bolsters their confidence equally if you're dragging your feet it takes you a week to respond to a, a simple data request it can really really shake the foundation of the deal. Yeah. So this is this is great. This is great stuff. So so you hire this M&A firm um and what, what happens next?
1: So that we hired them in the February. Um, and then the first thing they did was, and they were gr- just really good. And they, they kind of got us into shape effectively, like financially into shape. And they wanted a narrative for everything that had happened since day dot. So if there, if there were any anomalies in the numbers from day dot, kind of sticking points where the revenue hadn't grown or where things had dipped, whatever, they wanted to understand the narrative behind that. And we had to be able to supply that again fairly promptly. And whilst we were in very good shape financially and with our numbers that we had there and with the data that we had, what they explained was, yeah, but we're preparing you to be bought by a PLC. A FTSE 100 Explain company.
0: Explain PLC for folks who don't a know that. Pub- I'm
1: probably, I think it's a public limited company. Yeah, a listed company.
0: Yeah, so it, for American listeners, it would be uh, you know, a public company, effectively, which would have disclosure. It would have all sorts of um, you know, regulations around sure. financial reporting. And the, just the bar to sell to a company like that is much higher than a private transaction.
1: Yeah. So the standards we've got to get things to is got to be is at a whole other level. And you may have a 1 year, 2 year, 3 year cash flow forecast. We need a 10 year discount cash flow forecast model. I still don't know what one of those is, but we had to have one <laughs> and we had to build it out. And the other thing they said is, look, they're about we're about to unleash or they if we go if we're able to sell, they're going to unleash top 4 accountancy firms into your business that are going to ask so many questions. And just for clarity, you know, we, they set up a data room. And when we got to exclusivity, there was like a hundred people from a top four accounting firm in the business. And they were preparing us for that so that when they come and ask the questions it's already answered. So between, so it was a very intense period of, of getting the business in shape. It was all in very good order. There were no skeletons in the cupboard, which they were very thankful for. There was nothing that we had to come up with a story for. Why did we have, why did this happen? It was all logical. You know, so we, that was very encouraging for them.
0: James, a lot of people listening to this are hearing you describe the depth of diligence and the depth of reporting that's required. And they're getting nervous and they're saying, oh, well, I, I could never report at that level. Uh, you know, and and t- in your own admission, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you don't have a, you're not a trained accountant. You, not you at can all. go to study, you know, you, you can go to the London School of Economics to get no, a business degree. Not so at all. how did you deal with and get the business and deal with this, this, these narrative, you know, requests for the narrative around your dips. Like, how did you prepare it all? Did that fall to Paul, your partner, or how did, um,
1: there's a a friend of mine told me a story once about the diff. I'm just going to tell you this story. Then we'll go into that about the difference between the American uh, table tennis team and the Chinese table tennis team. And the American table tennis team would always get beat by the Chinese. And for years, they would kind of, they couldn't understand why they invested in coaching and training. And eventually, the American coach went to the Chinese coach and said, Look, I know we're fierce competitors, but can you tell me where we're going wrong? Like, we just always get beat by you. And they said, Yeah, it's down to one thing. You keep trying to strengthen your weaknesses. We just strengthen our strengths. Like, if, you, if you've got a weak backhand, you're always going to lose on your backhand against someone with a good. Back at, like, like stop doing it, just focus on your strengths. And I became early on within Go Proposal focused on what my strengths were. I brought Paul in to help with the financial rigor that was required from, from day one. And he kept, kept me to account and to those numbers, like I would glaze over in management meetings and things. I knew they were important, I knew we had to do them. And he kept the level of diligence that was required And we made sure we were investing, like I say, at the right level so that, you know, our accounts were reconciled on a weekly basis, that my team, my team were reporting on all of these numbers, John, every single week. So different team members would be responsible for reporting on you know, all the sub metrics beneath those higher metrics as to what was feeding those numbers, they were accountable for those. So I empowered other people to do that. And I was aware of the direction of the business and what we needed to do to strategically steer it. If you're not in that position now, if you don't have a set of management accounts, in reality, it's going to take you three years to get them in shape. Now, that might seem like a long time, but it's better than never. And you need to get started with it now. Like invest in invest in that finance function is all I could really encourage now we're talking about the worst case scenario here for for us which is a small company and because because we'd never taken investment if you if we had taken investment that would have forced that diligence to have been done earlier on to have got the investment because we'd never done that we'd never been through that process um and so yeah I think I've, I've lost my, my train of thought there, John. But
0: no, I, I think you're, you're. You're. I mean, I think that the essence of what you're saying is invest in finance. Um, you have certain strengths, and you know what those are. They're not finance. So you you brought in Paul as an investor, and and he brought rigor to the business on those on those measures, and that's that's super helpful. So you the M and A firm, you know, basically creates the book and the story and the narrative and and what happens next they shop this i mean there are some specific you know natural strategic acquires right obviously intuit uh sage zero microsoft i mean there's some big companies it, was it just an exercise of going to them or did you create a much longer list did did you include private equity in that list like h- yes. how did you
1: guys sure You're so so ahead. they managed the process and they were brilliant you know so they they built out a list of aqu- potential acquirers and they give them they, a plug what's the name of the firm uh, they're called shore and co s-h-a-w and co based in bristol in the uk um so we they um we we they, we create a list of a b's and c's like who are a's who are our dream partners you know in the industry have the money who we could benefit from, who we like, et cetera. And then we have the Bs and then going down into Cs, which is more of private equity and whereby, you know, I, I love serving the industry, the accounting industry. Like I wanted to bring about change in the accounting industry, not just for the accountant's benefit, but I want to help them. I wanted to help them and still do to get their, the businesses that they serve to invest more in the finance function, right? So I, I, I didn't just care about the accountants. I care about their clients as well. So we were looking for acquirers that could really help us to scale this and help us to continue with that impact. We do done, we've done a good work. We've done good work. We had huge fans in the space. So this wasn't just, I say a case, it wasn't just a case of cashing out. Cause it, it absolutely wasn't. We'd, we wanted to find the right acquirer as well. So we broke it down into A, Bs and Cs. We produced them um, and, I am,
0: which is an information
1: memorandum, which is effectively a brochure, sales brochure of the business outline. And it doesn't identify us by name, but anyone in the space would be able to guess who we are very easily. And then that was kind of put out to these businesses. And then off the back of that, it was then who wanted a management presentation from us. Got and it, so, James.
0: I think people get who would be on your A list again. Those would be strategic buyers into it, Sage, whatever. C. I mean, there's a a an, an entire ocean of private equity companies, and 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 many of which would focus on software businesses. So I get a sense of who those players might be. Who is in the
1: B bucket? I think it was more peripheral companies that could have an interest. Let's say for like a project management tool like an asana or something like that perhaps that has an interest in businesses that, that you know it, it it could connect to them in some way so it's kind of much more broader they may serve the accounting space but they're also serving other customers as well so the a's were very in, intentionally focused on our specific industry and then as we moved into the b's still software companies i would say but a, a broader client base got it Got it. So, so they how may have a companies... vested interest of wanting to get into the accounting industry potentially, you see.
0: As a gateway into it. Got it. So yes. James, how many um, how many companies on the long list got the IM? Do you, do you recall it, like ballpark?
1: I don't recall. I would say probably like t- 20 or so. They, they maybe got a list of 20 to start with. And then maybe t- t- 10, 12 of those got the IM, something like that.
0: Got it. So 10 signed a confidentiality agreement? uh, and got the confidential information memorandum of the 10, how many requested management presentations, six, six management presentations. What were they like?
1: So it was in COVID. Um, so were they all done online? They were somewhat, so some were overseas. So some some were done online and, but they were done in person as well. Sorry. Now we've got, it was what I wanted to do here with the, with the management presentations is to start showing, because this was a fear of ours and we knew it would be a fear of theirs, that how dependent is the business on me because of of my outward projection of the business? So the management presentations, other than me just making a brief introduction, were deliberately delivered by Heather to prove that operationally this business is not dependent on me. And it really wasn't. Like I would be involved in annual planning sessions and quarterly planning sessions and brought in as, an, as I was needed but I was actually a, like, I would hold business, I hold the business back because I would like, what's the phrase they called me? Uh, An accidental diminisher. I would accidentally diminish the team if I was involved in meetings because I'd be quick to come up with answers and step in and new ideas and all this stuff, right? So they actively, I wasn't involved in the business. Heather drove those management presentations. They were very daunting. Uh, I guess to start, with, but we've done lots of presentations and I knew that the structure of them was solid. I knew, I know how to construct a presentation, I know how to construct an argument, I know how to present it and sell a good vision of the future. When we did it to one company, and this was very in- intimidating, there were like 20, 20 members of staff, board members there, senior board members, that you know, CEO, everybody was there. At the end of it, the main guy said, that is how management presentations are done. You have just set the new standard for a management presentation.
0: Why? What did she do that was so impressive?
1: It was just a very thorough l- argument as to what we, how we'd got to where we we had. It was very, very rich. It was something very different that that the software companies weren't thinking about in terms of the education. We had a completely digital, digitized sales journey, so we weren't just selling the software. We were selling our digitized journey as well that these software companies that are reliant upon you know assisted sales journeys they could see the benefit in all this stuff none of these software companies had the concept of a book but they now understood the the importance of education and so there, there, there was so we had such a rich product i think and a rich offering John in, in the first place. Um they could see the passion, they could see everything that we've talked about, the playbooks that we have in place, how everything's fully systemized and documented, mm-hmm. how we're able to achieve net promoter scores that not one of the companies that we presented to could get close to. You know, our, our staff retention rate was is enviable. So and obviously these bigger companies have much more pressures than us. We're able to kind of operate in a in a little incubator but we had many things that were that were strong and it was just watertight john we we didn't have to make anything up our numbers were what they were we could report on them with great confidence and everything was solid i think really
0: fantastic so you have these management presentations of which there are six heather nails them it sounds like what happens
1: next so in one of the management presentations, there was something that happened that I didn't pick up on during the meeting. So we came out. So Heather is a young female. She's an absolute she, – she, like, reads books on stoicism for fun. Like, you just – would. she's just a monster, right? Just brilliant. Just s- such empathy and, and really understands how to nurture the team. Brilliant leader of Go Proposal. We came out of one of the management presentations and she said, how do you think that went? I said, it was great, but I gave all the feedback. She said, Well, I didn't think so. And I said, why? She said, Well, because every time you asked the question sorry, every time she asked the question, they answered me. So she is a female in an all-male meeting, effectively, with maybe an odd female in there, she was asking these questions and they were just bypassing her with the answers. And she said so if- just, I want
0: to be- I want to make sure I'm clear on what sh- what happens. So so Heather in the management meeting would ask a question of a potential acquirer. Yes. The potential acquirer would answer it, but instead of looking at Heather, they looked at you.
1: Yes. Correct.
0: Got it. Thanks. That's
1: helpful. And Heather's key thing was that if this is how they're talking to me, how will they, how would they talk to the team if they acquired us? Now we have brought the entire team on the journey up until this point. The team know we're going into these conversations. They don't know who we're talking to, but they know we're we're going to these meetings. And every and this is very unusual. And they fa- they found this unusual. Like how are you why are you telling the team? I'm like, well, because we're very transparent. They know the journey we're going on. They know why we're doing this. They know how they're going to benefit. Right before we went into the management presentations, we consulted with our team. We said to them, this is what's the next stage of the process. Do any of you have any concerns? Are there any questions that you would like us to be asking during these meetings so you have a voice? So what
0: did they know? What did they assume they would get out of the sale? Like what was in it for the 12 employees minus Heather that
1: well, we paid an okay salary, but we weren't, like, at the top end of the market. So they know that they would be getting a more competitive uh, wage, for sure. Um there's greater security that, are, you know, we were very solid and we have money in the bank and everything else. But as a small business, there's all vulnerabilities attached to you, things that sure. come up that you don't expect. So far, greater securities that would come with with a larger business and more benefits as well that that they can offer that we we can't necessarily offer. But also, it's about, to my mind, because we're achieving such great things in terms of our metrics, in terms of you know our retention rate, our client. Um, on Net Promoter Score, like to say to Jack, who was the head of client success, Jack, all of a sudden, you become a very valuable person in the world when you've been able to help to scale a SaaS business from, because he was with us from like the first few months, from here to here, and to successfully, you know, sell the business. All of a sudden, you'll become a valuable, a more valuable person in the new world that we're going into. And if that world didn't serve you, your services to be able to go to any SaaS business and say, I can help you to scale, I can help you to get these numbers, and I can help you to exit, you become a very valuable person in the world. So what they all got was a story. That was the only thing I ever told them. I never made a promise beyond that.
0: Got it. That's super helpful. So Heather says, look, I I didn't love that meeting. You know, I'd ask a question, instead of answering me, they gestured towards you. Where does it go from there? I assume that that one acquirer was not Heather's choice.
1: Not the, the choice, but that got fed back to them and we got mm-hmm. to have another conversation and we got to help to calm everything down and to balance it all. But we were in how a strong- did
0: get, How did it get back to the acquirer that that was Heather's
1: Through team? the M&A company, through the M&A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, because we, we weren't desperate to sell, we didn't need to sell. We didn't, people use all these phrases, like we didn't have a burning runway or whatever People call these things like we we have money, we have ideas, great team, great client base, growing at a really healthy rate. Like it was just because it was it was the right time for everybody. One of the other reasons I I also knew it was the right time was because my team, the likes of Jack, were asking me questions, and I no longer had the answers. I was having to say, look, you're gonna have to go and find someone in this role in this company and ask them. I we're beyond anything that I know anymore. <laughs> Uh, so I knew that we were getting to, and I, I had started start to build mentorship around my team uh, from, from external sources. All the senior team had external mentors, uh, but I knew that we were getting to a point where ideally we needed a brotherly arm around us to help us, you see.
0: What was the uh, treatment of your book in the offering? You were going to the market, for sale effectively in the competition. Yeah. You'd had these six meetings with management presentations. Was it at this point you had said that you would be prepared to sell the copyright to the book along with the company? Or was that something somebody specifically asked for? In no, no,
1: it, it was always in my mind to sell all of this lock stock. You know, that's and James,
0: I- were you ever squeamish about selling something so personal as a book like all of a sudden i mean that's that's part of you right that's you own yeah, the yeah. copyright it's you've written it it's your opinion and all of a sudden you're effectively selling it to a third party who may bastardize it make it say you know like they, they then own it and can do yeah, whatever yeah. they want with it yeah, did yeah. you ever contemplate
1: how comfortable you were with that no it was an it was a very com of, of all I always had that, I think, a healthy distance from things. These were tools. These are devices. Like if you see my LinkedIn profile, John, we're very active on LinkedIn. It's not me posting on LinkedIn. My team are using my LinkedIn profile to post. Now, if you if you start to watch my LinkedIn profile, you'll spot the ones that are me because they'll be much more personal. And But anything that's related more to sales, of, you know, it, like there'll be one going out soon, I went and I I went to an accounting firm a couple of weeks ago. I went and helped them for free. Just gave a, a session to their team. That got filmed. That'll get posted in a week or two on LinkedIn, right? So everything was up for grabs. They're, these are all tools to drive the growth of the business. My LinkedIn profile, uh, for the type for the duration that I'm with the acquirer, the the Instagram profile, everything, the book, all of the content. And it was from again, it was all designed that way from the start so i i very much as i was writing it i knew what i was creating and what i'd be handing over this book is the number one best-selling book in for practice management for accountants in the world wow
0: that's incredible
1: and and you know that and that's again just giving everything away sharing everything that we possibly have all of the learnings have gone into that to genuinely try and make a difference in people's lives like you can't go into this 99 percent and thinking but it only really makes a difference if you then buy my product. Like it's all in let like (laughs) firms don't, they're always like we've had firms sign up for go proposal and they've messaged me personally because they've left us for whatever reason, it's not right or whatever. And said, James, I'm really sorry. It's just not right. We're going to go with your competitor. I'm, I'm like, dude, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm just trying to help you. I want what's right for you. Like when people used to come to us at events and things and they'd say, right, why should we use your product over your competitor? My response and the response from my team is maybe you shouldn't. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Let me help you out. Like if you're just in the genuine service of others, if you just, so people would leave and I'd be like, look, I like you. I want you to do well. Let's, Keep in conversation. Let's keep in touch. So the, there's an accountant. He posted, I, I did a post today saying my new book's coming out. And he messaged and said, Can't wait to get it. I'm going to get my entire team to use it. They, they love your last book. I'm like, Cool. Once they've all read it as a book club, I'll come and join you on the last session. I know he uses our competitor's product, and I couldn't care less. Couldn't oh, care less. Incredible. I'm able to help him.
0: Let's get back to the, the acquisition. <laughs> so you had <laughs> <Sorry>. six <laughs> management presentations. What happens next?
1: So they then kind of contacted afterwards and said, like, who wants to make an offer? Three of them didn't want to make an offer. They were very complimentary. They kind of knew, some of them knew where they'd have to be ballpark wise, and they knew they weren't going to get there. One of them was an investment company because my M&A company are very good and they kind of explain where it would kind of need to be for them to be
0: and they were they still was the MA company still using your four times revenue number no how did they go from originally when you did these conservative estimates? you're like oh, if we can get four times did they like at, at what point did you start to to say it needed to be more like did did the MA firm say you're really shooting low here or did did you evolve over time like how did it go from four to something more
1: so that that was just our conservative thinking naive and naive and conservative thinking from a long time ago so once we started to get closer to this and started to work with the MA company we started to understand where this could actually be what the market how did market-
0: you come to understand that because the reason i'm asking this james is like i'd be i think a lot of people listening would be curious to know like <sighs> How do they find out what is kind of market for a business like theirs? Like did did the MA firm say, James, I think we can get X for the business? Or did you see in a conference someone got more than four times? Like, how did that come about?
1: So they they went and did the discount cash flow forecasting model. They know the space, they know the industry, they know what they've sold other businesses for and and what they've helped other businesses to achieve. And then they I don't know what their other sources now, I do know what the other sources are, actually. There was something that they, it was some report or some, some re- magical report. I feel it's stateside somewhere. I can't remember what it is, but the kind of, I know that informed part of their decision. Um, and, and what
0: did the report say is, was realistic or, or, or possible?
1: I can't remember. I can't remember. But they, they came up with three numbers and I, I can't reveal them because one of them was actually the number we, very close to the number we got. So, in terms of the numbers they shared with me, there, there, was, there was like this level here, and then there were two crazy bigger numbers. But it was the, the number that we were going for was very close to what we actually got. So, so there they,
0: was, and I know we can't we can't reveal that because it's under NDA and so forth. So the M and A firm, if I'm understanding, came back and said, James, I think it's somewhere like conservatively. I, th- I think we can get X. Uh, maybe we can get X plus. Expert, you know, a higher, and then it, like if we hit it right out of the park, then we could we could get this third potentially this third number. Yeah. Which of the three did they get? The first, the second, or the third? It was
1: the first one. The other two were were pie in the sky, and they were based on features that we were going to be developing in the future. And if they were to consider those features, then um, got it. There was a massive. And what upside. was
0: your reaction to the number they thought they could get for?
1: Them? Oh, brilliant! Like we we hit. And more everything we we wanted to do we 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 were going to do what we came here to do.
0: Can you describe the moment you told Becky that it was real up until this point it's it's all just theoretical and it's all like an offer, but it could they could they could take it, take it away you've got due diligence, they could take it away but can you describe the moment that you told her that it, in fact, it was actually real and it wasn't going to be taken away?
1: Well, that was only when it had actually happened and the money hit John. So I was very clear, you know, you have, the, the, just to explain, just a bit, I'm, I'm not avoiding your question, I will answer your question, but just to explain a bit before that. So we, we granted exclusivity to them and it had been a hectic, stressful, intense period up until that. And Daisy, the girl from, the lady from, the M company rang me and said, "Get ready for what's coming next with the due diligence." And I laughed. I'm like, "You're joking!" I said, "We've we've done it. We've got everything prepared." She says, "Get ready for what's coming next." So that was in May. The deal closed in at the end of September. So May, June, July, August, September—five months. Wow. The intensity of that period, I've never experienced anything like it in my life. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. every day with no alarm clock for the first part. And then I started waking up at 3.30 a.m. with no alarm clock. In that time, over a 1,000 questions were asked of the business, bearing in mind we were in such incredible shape. And of those 1,000 questions, some of them warranted, for, and a 1,000 is not an exaggeration, I'm not saying that, as hyperbole, there was a th- over a thousand questions. Some of them warranted 40-page answers. The intensity was crazy. And, be- and the beauty, the only thing, the saving grace in this, because the team knew of the journey that we were going on, I was able to bring the team on board and they were able to get involved with things. And I had on my whiteboard here in my office these kind of like, I think there are about six milestones with dates next to them And these were all hurdles I knew we had to get over before we got to the end. And every single one of these hurdles is either at this hurdle here, it all ends, or it's allowed to continue to the next hurdle. And it only completes when that last hurdle is hit and you hit refresh on your bank and the money's there. Like I was very mindful of that. So I have never been through a period like it in my life. I, and, and bearing in mind, the business has to continue running throughout this process, not just continue running, continue growing. I am completely removed from the business. Heather, the ops director can only spend 50% of the time on the business. So the, everything that we put into the foundations up until that point kept it growing. We closed in the September. They wanted to see the sales figures from August to make sure they were still going up. Right, so all of this stuff was in place. It it was crazy, and and one of the milestones I want to tell you about was it was it was the most unknown element to me, and it was the security of the app and the quality of the coding. It was two reviews that had to be done on this milestone. I, I knew what the finances were. I knew what the team was like. I knew the I knew everything else. Right, I just didn't know how good the coding was. I trusted my developers. I didn't know. I kind of knew how secure the site was because we had integrations with Intuit and various things and we had to achieve certain standards, but I didn't fully know. And they bring in external companies whose job is to find everything that's wrong, right? So we got this report and to coin a phrase, they ripped us a new one. Like they just go to town because that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to find everything that's wrong. So they told us everything was wrong with the code, everything that was wrong with the security. There's an Amber light system, red, amber green, you got the report, and then we went into a meeting the following week, right? Um to go and to actually now have it presented to us. But I had a trick up my sleeve. So I played my trick, not told them, and we went into the meeting. And we sat in the meeting and for an hour I had to listen to these two companies in front of all of Sage, everyone who's making this decision, tell us everything that was wrong, the vulnerabilities, the failings in the coding. And I got to the end of the process and I just said to him, thank you so much for everything you have shared with us here. Whether this deal goes ahead or not, you have just pointed out all the ways that we can now strengthen our product. I'm so grateful for your expertise and I thank you for it first and foremost, right? There's no defense, There's no point in being defensive, yeah? Sure. And do you know what? One of the feedbacks that we got was our response to it was so important More so than any issues they came up with. It's the fact that we were demonstrating that we could work with them. They could work with us, that we were open to change, that we could be challenged, right? But what they weren't expecting was my next line, which was, thank you so much for all that. And by the way, we've fixed everything. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, you gave us the report last week. My devs have sorted it. With the exception of these two or three minor things here, which we need to talk to you about, we've fixed everything else. And they said, well, how how have you fixed this one? And I had my dev on the call. He said, well, we've done this and this and this. Yeah, yeah, that that works. And how about this one? Well, we've done this. Yeah, that's a really smart solution. Wow. And so I went through it. And then at the end of it, it said, well, do you know what? He said, um, you know... No one would ever get full marks in this. And, and it's actually not that bad, really, what you, what you've got. And the fact that you've responded in this way is amazing. And, and so I just gave us the best chance I possibly could of smashing down these hurdles.
0: Hmm. Amazing. Amazing. And great response to, uh, you know, what is oftentimes a very delicate, uh, process of diligence and being kind of scrutinized in that way. Back to my question. So it's Sorry. September.
1: Yes, the deal closes. Yes. How did you tell Becky? So it was the most after the intensity of it all, and on the final day, I woke up at two thirty a.m. Like I just wanted. Like, it's
0: going backwards, James. Like Four thirty, three thirty. I'm telling you. Two thirty. I'm telling
1: you. And it was really intense because what we did was because we had such a strong following, we produced. I'm still not avoiding your question. We you produced. Are. I'm starting to wonder. We produced a launch video of how we were going to announce this to the market. So we developed a, an announcement strategy. It was really beautiful, and we were filming right up until like that that day. It was so even on the the closing deal day, we're still filming and getting people's footage and stuff. So it was very, very intense. And then all this crazy period, it got, it was meant to close, I think at 5 PM on that Friday and they pushed it back and said, no, it needs to be till 6 PM. I'm like, Jesus. And then, no, no, it's going to be 7 PM. And we're like, Oh, please just get this done. Is it ever going to happen? Are they going to find something that we're still at this stage? Right. And, um, and then we all jumped on a call all of their SAGE team, my MA team, their legal team, the, um, the the top four accountancy firms that were brought in. Everyone sits there and says, right, because everything's been signed at this point. You, you've signed all the doc- Is there, We've got all the signatures in. Is everyone happy with that? Everyone happy with the signatures? Yeah. Well, that's that then. That That's the deal done. And it was the most uneventful, anticlimactic <laughs> moment. And I put the lid down and I went to Becky, who was my childhood sweetheart, like, fanta in school. And then we, we got to go out with each other in, in later life. Um, I was living in London at the time, actually, John. It's a nice story. And she, and she invited me, she, and I was living there. We were just friends. And she says, James, will you please move back home to Doncaster? And I said, Beck, I'd only move back if you'd marry me. She says, You're the only person I'd ever marry. So I came back and we got married before we even started going out with each other. We agreed to marry before we started going out with each other. So very, very close. And uh, I went and hugged and my kids knew what was going on as well. So we all hugged and I cracked open a bottle of champagne in the garden, sprayed it over everyone. And that was that. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Are you up for a quick lightning round before I let you go? Yeah, man, hit me. A couple of quick questions. All right. I must, I'm only asking for a short answer. I won't follow up. I'd just be curious to know as a last uh, final parting shot. Let me get some
1: so more water just in case I run more out. More water's second. fine. Go
0: hydrate, hydrate.
1: Right. It's the third bottle, John. We're doing good. We're doing good. Right. I'll do fast, if I can, fast answers. Hit me.
0: The slimiest trick... A perspective acquirer tried to pull over on you.
1: There, there, there wasn't one. Every, you know, there, there was, I had all these horror stories before of what they might do and what they might not do. There was none of that. Everyone was very respectful. Awesome.
0: Biggest mistake you made in the selling process.
1: Biggest mistake we
0: made. Another way to ask this question is like, what do you wish you had known before you started the process?
1: Mm, do you know, I, I think we, we were, we were led very expertly with the M and a company. I'm so grateful that we brought them on board. You know, they really upgraded the business on the, on the journey. So I don't think particularly we made any mistake. I'm trying to think personally, we went and viewed a house that was a few million pounds house with a swimming pool and various things. And, uh, I think that might've been a mistake. Um, because of uh, you know, you then starting to dream. It feels a little bit more real once you've dip your toe, literally dip your toe in the water. One thing I got right is I kept my group of friends very tight. I didn't. I only told people very close to me, and just blocked out everything else and kept my peloton around me very, very tight.
0: Lowest emotional point you reached during the selling process. Mm.
1: I've probably not got many bleak answers for you here. It, it was. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. We were going away. The family were on the drive in the car, ready to go away. I think we we're going away for the weekend. They were packed. I'd answered. I'd had forty questions in from the the law firm, and we'd. Put, and one of those questions, what was one of the forty page answers? Once so it was very intense. I had all of my team done. And I was literally standing up from this computer here. The kids are there in the car. Say, come on, come on. I coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. So I sent that email off with all of the answers in a massive spreadsheet with all of the answers. I'm coming now. And I made a mistake. I pressed refresh on my inbox. And I saw an email come in that says we need these answers. And the next one come in that said we need these. And I opened them up. And I scrolled through the sheet. And I saw over a hundred questions. And I just literally screamed out, no! And I just sat with my head in my hands and I went out. I said, I cannot believe how many questions that Anne's asking. I cannot believe I've never experienced anything like it. And my son, who was 11 years old, 10 at the time, and I'd confided him certain details of the deal. He said, but the thing is, daddy, they are wanting to pay you a lot of money for this. So why don't you just answer the questions? And I said, (laughs) yeah, fair enough. Fair enough.
0: (laughs) Sage wisdom from an 11 year old. I love it. Um, You've been very generous uh, mentioning built to sell. And so I'm grateful for that, but what other resources did you turn to for educating yourself about the exit process was there a conference you went to or a course you took or another book you read like what, what did you find helpful uh,
1: tony robbins business mastery course i found very helpful and that gave me some really good foundational understandings from from the start um Three revisited is a very good book and i kind of always held okay. that and your book in s- a similar um Fr- framing that it. is talking about building a franchisable model or a, a business built to sell. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on a call with you, but I found that yours was much more practical and applicable. And I agreed with, with it, whereas parts of Emyth that I don't necessarily agree with, but I, I found that to be useful. There's, I love Daniel Priestley's stuff and it is under, helping to understand of business models. And key person a, of
0: influence. We'll put that Key in person of influence. Well. But
1: there's another book, which is here, which is called 24 Assets, which he talks about how 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 do you build assets in your business, IP assets and and various things. And and we'd done that from the start. So all of the digital assets, the playbooks, we'd protected everything that we could protect. And one of the things like with, with software, you can't, necessarily protect and patent the software but you can protect the processes and one of the easiest and best ways to protect the processes is to write a book on it like if you're a published author on that subject you own that like people can't take that away from you so yeah he, he that was really good and then there's some other books there about the culture so brave new work uh, by aaron dignan was a very good book uh, around the culture uh, the netflix book Um, which is No Rules Rules was very good around our culture as well. And then I love stuff by Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if you've come across his stuff. Do the work, the war of art, and helping you to overcome resistance and to to power through. So I think they're my main books. Oh, just one other one as well, actually, which is very interesting and, and quite obscure. Not a lot of people get onto this one. It's called The Starfish and the Spider, which is about creating a, a starfish organization versus a spider one, whereby a spider organization, all of the knowledge sits in the head. Um, and if, it, if the head gets cut off, the organism dies. Whereas with a starfish, the information for how the organism lives runs through every part of it. So if you chop it in half, each half grows a new half. So it's about how do you create a starfish organization?
0: Love that. We'll put all that in the show notes. Last question. What did you do to commemorate this win please tell me you bought something did you end up buying the car the house with the pool like tell me the trophy you purchased to commemorate the success
1: do you know what i just said to my wife today we're the crappiest millionaires in the world right we're <laughs> absolutely rubbish let me tell you this true story right john the next day i took the kids to watch um the what's the james the, the new james bond film whatever it was the latest james bond film right so we went to the cinema and went to the 4d cinema and went in there it's cool and i took them to five guys afterwards bearing in mind I have got an eight-figure sum sat in my bank account at this point. I took them to five guys afterwards. So they ordered what they wanted, and they said, "Can we get a refillable drink?" I said, "You're not having one each," and I made them share a refillable drink. Yeah. So I think I need to catch up. I need to. I need. I still need my brain to catch up with where I am. You know, we're not trained how to spend money. But um, I bought uh, a cliched. Rolex watch, which is a tool watch, a deep dive watch, but it's a Sea Dweller, and it was uh, a 2017, uh, which was the year that GoPosal was born. So I, found, I got this. I paid like a grand extra because it had all the stickers on it just so I could sit and peel the stickers off. I didn't want it to be on anyone else's hand. Um, so I, I got that. I bought my wife a Range Rover. Um, I, we, we, we helped a lot of family out. We helped a lot of family members, which was, again – One of the most heartwarming and and most exhilarating parts of it to be able to ring family members up and say, uh, we just want to send you some money over so you can get a takeaway tonight to celebrate with us. And um, can you just check the money's in the bank? Oh, yes, we send like a 100 quid. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah, brilliant. And then I say, right, just refresh again and then refresh again and a bigger digit has just hit and they're like sobbing on the phone and so to, to be able you know and these people john these are hard working people worked far harder than me in my life you know and i just happen to be in an industry and a sector where i'm able to do something that has generated this you know generational wealth and and so, so that was great for us we've done some charitable stuff which was cool but we're still in the same house. Like we're six months on. I'm only just getting around to getting the bathroom sorted out. Do you know what? It doesn't matter how much money you've got, I still can't get a Tyler or a plumber. I don't care how rich you are. So um, we've, we're still making decisions like that, but I did buy a car. So I went to the, I'd ordered a, a Porsche Panamera and uh, it was a long waiting list because this is the other thing as well, right? There's, The house prices through the roof in the UK. You can't get a house anywhere. And this microchip problem, there's no cars about, so I can't even get a car. So it's the worst time or probably the best time to hit the cash, right? And uh, so I went to the car garage and I said, look, I want to to go over the spec again. And they said, well, we've just had this one brought in from a a Chelsea footballer. They've just, a Premiership League player, he's just brought this Panamera in. And I'm like, I'll take it." And it's a turbo. (laughs) So um, I went and... um, I, I got that and had all the cover taken off the car, and and that was a, a very exciting moment. Uh, yeah,
0: I'd say you're doing pretty well as a millionaire. I'm just just saying.
1: <laughs> I think you're figuring it out. <laughs> Maybe
0: a slow learner, but I think you're figuring it out. My favorite is you're making the one kid get the refillable cup.
1: I think they can think There's only one each. I'm not mental. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, I've enjoyed this conversation. I could do it again and again. James, um, the book, your book is called Selling to Serve.
1: My first book is Selling to Serve, and I have just launched a new... I've hit publish about two hours ago, but it takes Amazon just a few hours to approve. So the next book is called Untapped, and um, this is a piece of work I did last year with 100 accountancy firms to show them, and it's applicable to any... Both books are applicable to any industry. If you just control left that and and replaced accountant with your industry. They both work. And this was a piece of work I did last year with 100 accountancy firms to prove to them that they're sat on a diamond mine of clients. Your greatest opportunity you have now is with the current client base that you've got. I'm a firm believer of that. And I show these 100 firms um, how to grow their revenue within 30 days from existing clients alone. They grew their collective revenue by over a million pounds, Uh, from existing clients and the book outlines that journey and and how I switched them from being in a scarcity mode and if I can just leave people with this thought John you know there's so much negativity and doom and gloom in the world We're on the back end of a pandemic there's rising fuel prices there's rising energy prices here in the UK there's so much skepticism and negativity and uncertainty um but if we can block that out and we can stop thinking in this scarcity mindset, there is great abundance as well. You know, you know, you are enough, you have enough, you deserve to get more. And we have to fundamentally – you don't even have to be positive – You just have to block out the negative like if you just do that switch off the news stop talking to those loser mates that you've got and just start speaking with positivity and belief and with abundance get around i love what you're doing here john i love the work that you do i love the community that you're building and the work that you do with them to create that positivity to create that belief and to to show people and this is why i've loved being on this here and thank you so much for this opportunity to show people it's possible. You know, as entrepreneurs, no one's figured this out. We're all on a journey. We're all learning. We're all work in progress. And if we can throw a hand up and reach a hand up and ask for help when we need it. And I have asked for it many, many times and have the the courage to do that, as well as having the, the generosity to throw a hand back down and to grab the people behind you as well. If we can all do that, we're all trying to do this for the right reasons. We're all trying to make our lives a bit better, our families a little bit better, our communities, you know, the world a bit of a better place because of of, the, of what you're trying to do with your entrepreneurial business. And if we can all help each other to achieve that, then that's a, a wonderful thing.
0: Well said. And I'm going to put a pin in there. I think uh, you did an amazing job of finishing up. So the book is called Untapped.
1: Untapped Literally
0: available yep. uh, as when this goes live, it'll be available. And if you want to get a two for a grab selling to serve as well, Untapped available where you buy books. James, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks, John. Thank you.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview with James Ashford. For all the show notes, including links and resources that we referenced on the show, please head over to builttosell.com and search out James Ashford's show notes page. There you'll find everything you need to process and act on some of the things that James talked about today. While you're there, consider nominating a guest. Our best episodes come from people like you, our audience, who nominate entrepreneurs with an interesting exit story. So just go to to builttosell.com slash nominate. As a reminder, we're making some investments in our YouTube channel. So throw Built to Sell Radio into a YouTube search bar, hit subscribe, and I think you'll enjoy the video content you're about to get over the coming months. James also referenced creating systems in both part one and part two of his interview. If that's something that's of interest to you, we put together an ebook on creating standard operating procedures. It's free. Just go to builttoscell dot com slash sop for standard operating procedures. BuiltToSell.com slash SOP. Today's show, as always, was produced by Colin Morgan. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for doing the audio and video engineering. And a great big thank you to our community of certified value builders who bring our message to you. Until next time, we'll talk to you again.